Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I am presenting a series of programs on the subject of the arrest and the trials of the Lord Jesus. And today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, in the previous broadcast, I was explaining that the Pharisees made a bit of a change. The change was was that they were going to take some direct action against the Lord Jesus. And this decision was made when the Lord Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. That was the response to the miracle that he performed of resurrecting someone from the dead. They decided to respond to that miracle by conspiring with one another to figure out how to have him killed. And the reason why they decided to take this position was a new reason for their opposition against him. Before this miracle occurred, their opposition towards him was because he was not willing to live in obedience to their laws. Now their position has changed that they are now opposed to him because they are concerned that other people are going to follow him and that if they do, then the Romans will come and take away their position, their place, and their nation. The country may potentially be destroyed because of the war that would take place. So their position changed at this time in his ministry concerning how they viewed him and what their concerns were regarding who he was and what he was doing. Now the decision that they made was to then conspire to find some way to have him killed. This was revealed in John chapter 11, verse 53, where it says, So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. Now, the first thing that I just can't help but notice is that these are people who have decided that they are going to try to find some way to kill Jesus. And the reason why they want to kill Jesus is because he's resurrecting people from the dead. Now, I personally would have a problem with trying to kill someone who was resurrecting people from the dead. I would be a little nervous to go up against somebody like that. I mean, when I just look at this on the surface, I can't help but wonder what these guys were thinking. I mean, how are you going to kill somebody who's resurrecting people? That, to me, just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I personally would not want to be a participant in something like that, because who knows what he might do next? That's the first thing I just can't help but notice, and I really wanted to mention that. But the thing that I really want to focus on in these programs is the fact that they initially had a problem with him because he was violating their laws. But in order to arrest him and kill him, they are going to have to violate many of their own laws in order to accomplish that. And so they accused him of something that they are now going to be guilty of. And this is something that I'm going to emphasize throughout this study. Now, there was another change of attitude that took place here with the Pharisees that I definitely want to show you. And that is not only that they are willing to violate their own laws in order to have Jesus killed, but there's something else that is revealed here about the struggles that they were having and the character that they had. And I don't mean to say this because I have some desire to condemn the Pharisees. That's not my intent. My intent truly is to show you their humanity 
It is to show you that they struggled with things just like anybody else did. And even though they may have asserted themselves as being the holiest of people who have ever lived, and they certainly lived a very impressive life, there's no question about that whatsoever, they were very impressive concerning their religious attitudes, concerning their desire to be obedient to God. But in the midst of that, they were still just as human as anybody else. And this is an opportunity just to point that out, not to show you how sinful they were, but to show you how human they were. Now consider this for just a moment, and that is that they had deep convictions concerning their beliefs. They really did. And this could very well have just simply been a moment where they forgot about their convictions. I understand that. But they did have some very deep convictions concerning their beliefs. And if you were to ask a Pharisee at that time how they valued their beliefs, what did it really mean to them? They would probably say something that would sound like this. They would be willing to die for their beliefs. They would be willing to die for what they believed. And there's a history of that. The Maccabean Wars had taken place recently, just a little over a 100 years prior to this. And so there was some history within remote proximity that would give them some inspiration to really hold to their beliefs and never waver from their beliefs. But in this circumstance, they are willing to do that. In this circumstance, they are willing to let go of their beliefs. They are willing to deny Moses. They are willing to deny the traditions of the elders. They are willing to deny all that defines them as a person in order to just accomplish this one task. And then quite likely the chances were that they would return back to their old way of life after that. But the point is, is that they were willing to commit murder in order to maintain their position because they were concerned about their job security. They were concerned perhaps of their own lives. And so this was the change. This was the momentary transition that happened during the ministry of the Lord Jesus where the Pharisees who were involved in this, the Pharisees broke and they came to a point in their lives, the chief priests, the Sadducees as well, the Sanhedrin, these people came to a point in their lives when they would be willing to violate their own beliefs to ensure their personal security, to ensure their position. They were not willing to die for their beliefs in this case. They would rather Jesus die than they die. That was the preference. Which makes sense. I mean, again, this is perfectly human. If we were to consider the common expression of the character of humanity, this is not something that we should be surprised about. And that is that they would rather the Lord Jesus die for his beliefs than for them to die for their beliefs. That was the difference. They would rather the Lord Jesus die for his beliefs than they die for their beliefs. That in this case, they decided that they would rather live and put aside what defined them as a person. They would rather that take place than to allow Jesus to continue to heal people, to resurrect people, to set people free. They were concerned that people would believe in him. They were concerned that they would lose their lives. And so I just wanted to point this out, that this was a very important transition that took place with the people at the end of the Lord Jesus' ministry. Now again, I'm not saying that they completely disposed of everything. I'm only saying that when the situation presented itself, they did believe that their own lives were more important than their beliefs. 
Their beliefs were very important to them, yes. But in this circumstance, they believed in this situation that their lives were more important. Now, again, this is a very human reaction, and I do believe that this attitude can change throughout a person's life. Several years later, they did hold to their beliefs in a very powerful way, and the Romans came in and destroyed Jerusalem. There's an awful lot that happened in history after this, and again, there's a lot of history before this. I'm just wanting to refer to this one point in time when this took place. So they conspired with one another to try to find a way to have him killed. Now, in order to do this, they would have to find a way to get the Romans involved because they did not have the authority to execute anyone. And so there was no way that they could hold a trial, declare him to be guilty, declare him to be worthy of death, and then execute him. They needed the Romans in order to accomplish that. Now, an alternative could have been to perhaps hire an assassin and assassinate him, but that does not appear to be the option that they took. They took the option of trying to find a way to get the Roman government involved, to get the Romans involved in such a way that the Romans would kill him. Now, in order for the Romans to kill him, he has to violate Roman law. And so they have to find some way to convince the Romans that he is guilty of a Roman law that would be worthy of death so that the Romans would execute him. This is the path that they took. This is the approach that they took to try to find a way to kill the Lord Jesus. They did eventually come to a decision concerning what that accusation would be, and that was the accusation of sedition, that the Lord Jesus would be guilty of declaring himself to be a king who would potentially rally people to himself to overthrow the Romans. That would be an act of sedition. That was the accusation that they were going to bring before the Romans when they would find a way to bring Jesus before the Romans at a trial. And so this was the situation. First, they decided to align themselves with the Romans in order to find a way to have the Lord Jesus killed. They needed the machinery of the Roman government in order to accomplish this. They needed an accusation according to Roman law, that would have him killed. They used sedition. They determined that sedition would be the accusation, and that would be appropriate because that would be compatible with him being declared as the Messiah. But they needed to have a witness. They needed to have somebody who the Romans would look at as being a legitimate witness against the Lord Jesus. This is something that they would need to obtain. Now, they did put out word asking people to tell them where the Lord Jesus was if they spotted him, so that they would be able to perhaps capture him. Maybe they could come up with a false witness. We don't have that much detail to know how they would deal with that circumstance. We don't have that much information. But what we do have is what the scriptures say about Judas, that Judas responds to their appeal and makes himself available as a witness against the Lord Jesus. He makes himself available to conspire with them in order to capture the Lord Jesus and have him put on trial to testify against him and have him killed. For Judas to conspire with the Sanhedrin concerning this, for him to be involved in this conspiracy, there were a number of responsibilities that he would have. The first thing that Judas would have to do is he would have to go to the Romans and he would have to accuse Jesus of violating Roman law. 
in this context, the law of sedition. And because Jesus was quite popular and often spoken of as the Messiah, it would be easy for them to consider that as being a valid accusation. After making the accusation, a Roman cohort, which was composed of 300 to 600 armed men, would then be assigned to Judas, and Judas would lead the Roman cohort to where Jesus could be found. So he first had the responsibility of making the accusation, and then he would have the responsibility of leading the soldiers to the Lord Jesus, to where he could be found, so that they could arrest him. He would have to lead them to the location, and he would have to personally identify who the Lord Jesus is, so there would be no mistake concerning who they would arrest. After he was arrested, then the witness would have to go to the trial with the one who was accused. Judas would have to go to the trial, and he would have to testify against the Lord Jesus before the Romans, testifying that his accusation is correct, and then the Romans would make a decision from there. So that was the responsibility of the witness. That was the responsibility that Judas took upon himself when he conspired with the Sanhedrin. Now what's very important to see, this is very important to recognize, is that Judas did not follow through with all of his responsibilities. This is a very important thing to see. Judas did not follow the Romans and the Lord Jesus after he was arrested back to the Roman compound. He did not go back to the Roman compound in order to testify against the Lord Jesus. In fact, the Lord Jesus wasn't taken to the Roman compound. Instead, he was taken to Annas by the Romans. The Romans took him to the person who was recognized by the people as the high priest, but the Romans put him aside and put somebody else in authority, put somebody else in power, instead of the true high priest. They took him to the one who they rejected as having any legitimate authority in Israel. And Judas went back to the Sanhedrin and repented. He declared that he had sinned. He gave them the money back. Obviously, things did not work out like Judas expected. I really want you to see this, and that is that Judas committed himself to doing something, and then he didn't follow through with it. He didn't follow through with it. In fact, afterwards, he committed suicide over this situation. Now, I personally do not know of anyone who would do something like this, that they would commit themselves to something, and then, after committing themselves to this thing, they would show that they made a mistake, and then they would commit suicide. They would kill themselves because of the mistake and because of the fact that the mistake was not going to be rectified. I don't know of anyone who would do such a thing. But that's what we have here in the testimony of the Lord Jesus and of Judas in the scriptures. That Judas did not follow through with what his responsibilities were as the witness. He didn't follow through with that. Now there's only one conclusion that I personally can come to concerning this situation. And that is that things did not work out in the way that Judas wanted them to work out. That's the only explanation I can think of as to why he would go and commit himself to doing such a thing and then repent afterwards and kill himself. The only reason I can think of as to why Judas would have done that is because things did not happen in the way that he expected. This is a very important point if you're going to understand everything that is described 
in the scriptures concerning the end of the Lord Jesus' ministry, these events, the trials and what happens to Judas, you have to consider that things didn't work out the way Judas wanted them to work out. Otherwise, you're going to have to come up with some obscure explanation as to why he behaved in the way that he did, why he behaved in such an inconsistent manner. You could perhaps suggest that he was demonically possessed, and so he had no alternative but to be used in such a confusing way. But I don't think that that's absolutely necessary. I mean, I do believe the testimony of the scriptures that Satan entered into him to an extent in some way. But regardless of that, I think the evidence is clear that he had another motive, that there was something else that he wanted to transpire. There was something else that he expected to happen that did not happen. Now, this is what I believe. This is what I personally believe. I believe that he expected Jesus to resist the arrest. That's what I believe. And the reason why I believe that is because of the traditional perspective concerning the Messiah. The traditional perspective concerning the Messiah at that time was that the Messiah would be the king. He would be the one who would set the people free from the Romans or whoever else was ruling over them, that he would be the one that would reestablish the Davidic kingdom, the nation of Israel, and there would be no end to his reign. That was the traditional belief concerning the Messiah. And there's a lot of evidence in the scriptures that suggests that the disciples believed that that was the role that Jesus was going to fulfill. There is a lot of evidence, even in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, the disciples asked him, are you now going to reestablish the Davidic kingdom, the throne of Israel? He says, no, that's not what I'm going to do. Throughout his ministry, his disciples believed that he was the Messiah, but what they believed about the Messiah was that the Messiah was going to reestablish the Davidic kingdom. Jesus was not doing that. There was no evidence There was not enough evidence, I should say, to show that Jesus had any intention of really establishing the nation of Israel and himself as the king over Israel. So I believe that Judas decided to help Jesus out a little bit. That's what I believe. After I've considered all of the evidence that is available, that is my opinion. Now, I'm not willing to say that this is absolute fact, and so if you want to disagree with me, I'm not going to argue with you about it. You can disagree with me. If you think I'm in total error, please pray for me. But this is what I really believe. I really believe that Judas believed that Jesus was going to establish the Messianic kingdom. And because he did not appear to be doing that, I believe Judas decided to help him out a little bit by creating the circumstances, creating the circumstances that would put him in a position where he would be forced to do that. Because who would want to die? Who would want to be crucified? From a human perspective, people would be willing to do anything in order to live. The Sadducees and the Pharisees who conspired with one another to have him killed took that position that they would rather he die than they be at risk of dying. This is a perfectly reasonable assumption that I am making that Judas was trying to help Jesus out a little bit by creating the circumstances that would put him in a position where he would have to establish the kingdom of Israel as the reigning king, or he would be put to death. And so that's what I believe concerning these circumstances, that he used the Sanhedrin, he used the agreement with the Sanhedrin to accomplish this. But when things did not work out like he thought they would, 
then he found himself in a very awkward situation. And that situation was that he was eventually going to go before the true and living God, quite likely be faced with Jesus himself in the kingdom of heaven. And he's going to give an explanation concerning his actions. I personally think it would be perfectly reasonable for him to try to repent as best he could, which was to return the money, to confess his sin, to turn away from it, and in recognizing the seriousness of the situation, that Jesus is going to die because he bore false testimony, even though he may have had good intentions, good intentions from his perspective, he bore false witness. And because this crime was worthy of death, according to the law, Judas should have been the one executed. But nobody was going to execute him. Nobody was willing to recognize the crime that he committed. There was no way that he was going to be put to death by the authorities because of his sin. And so he put himself to death. That was the best option that he had if he was going to live in obedience to the law. And so I believe that's why he did it was so that he could go before the Lord in heaven and say, hey, you know, I did the best I could in light of the circumstances that I found myself in. Yes, I sinned, and I repented, and I killed myself. I fulfilled the law, even to that extent. That was the extent of his repentance. And I believe that he was hoping that he would obtain mercy from God when he went to heaven in light of those circumstances. Now, it's my belief that if the Lord is going to have mercy towards Judas, it's not going to be because he was willing to kill himself for the crimes that he committed. I don't think that that is going to be the reason why God would permit him entrance into the kingdom of heaven. I believe that the only way that Judas could be in heaven is by the mercy of God. That if God will be merciful, if the Lord will be merciful to Judas, then Judas will have a place there. And if he will not be merciful to Judas, then Judas will not have a place there. Now, is Judas in heaven or is he not? That's a difficult question to answer because there are some passages in the scriptures that I could refer to that do suggest that Judas is not in heaven. There are some verses that I can point out. But I personally believe that even though there are verses that could be used to support the likelihood that Judas is not in heaven, I would like to think that he is. And the reason why I would like to think that he is, is because I believe he was being very true to his beliefs. I believe that he was being very sincere and he was being very devoted. And I believe that the Lord will have understanding concerning that. And the repentance that he expresses by committing suicide is evidence not for the Lord, but for me personally. That to me is evidence for me to suggest that he was seeking the mercy of God, or that he would seek the mercy of God. That's my opinion, and I don't have a lot of evidence to support it. So all I can say is, is that if I go to heaven, which I expect I will, and I see Judas there, I'm not going to be surprised. If he's not there, I'm not going to be that surprised. Although I will be a little bit surprised that he's not there, but I certainly won't be surprised if he is. On the other hand, I do believe that there are a lot of people who would be very surprised if Judas was there, and they would not be surprised at all if he wasn't there. And so it just depends on who you ask. It depends on who you talk to. But this is my opinion. This is my opportunity to say something about my opinion, and so I'm just sharing it, and I'm telling you that this is what Aaron says, not the Lord. Now, staying consistent with the conspiracy, 
Judas would have to agree that he would not betray the Lord Jesus during the Passover. Because if he did betray Jesus during the Passover, then the prophecy that Jesus gave that he would be betrayed during the Passover would come to pass. And then Jesus would be recognized as a prophet. And so I personally believe that he engaged with the Sanhedrin and agreed to their terms. He agreed to the fullness of the conspiracy that he would not betray Jesus during the Passover. But Jesus knew about the conspiracy. He knew that he was going to be betrayed. He knew that he was going to be crucified. He knew that because the scriptures spoke of that, because the prophecies declared that. And he knew the scriptures. He knew the prophecies. He knew what was going to take place. He knew that Judas was going to be the one who would betray him. And so what he did was he took advantage of the situation. Jesus took advantage of the situation He took advantage of the circumstances, and he exposed the conspiracy at the appropriate time. He knew about the conspiracy, but it was during the Passover meal that he actually exposed the conspiracy. And he exposed the conspiracy by pointing out that Judas was the one who was going to betray him. So when he pointed out that Judas was the one who was going to betray him, then Judas had to get out of there. Jesus gave him the opportunity to leave. When he left, he went to the Sanhedrin and told them, Hey, Jesus knows about the conspiracy. And so because Jesus knows about the conspiracy, we're going to have to act right now. Because if we do not act right now, then he will have time to alter his situation, to change his location even, to do a number of things that could protect him, that could put him in a situation where they could not capture him, where they could not find him. And if I am correct concerning the motive of Judas, then what Judas would be thinking would be that we have to do this right now because this is probably going to be the only true opportunity, or at least it's the best opportunity, to force Jesus to be the Messiah who he thought that he was for all those years that this was the one opportunity to make it happen, and I'm sure that Judas was concerned about losing this opportunity. But again, when Jesus did not resist, then Judas showed that things did not work out the way that he thought they would. And I will continue with this in the next broadcast. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,